Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. Once again, I'm Matt Burke, the Education Director and the Northeast Director. And I'm Ben Tapper, an Associate for Resource Consulting out of our central office in Indianapolis. So as we come close to wrapping up this year, we decided for our final episode of season one, we would try to do something a little more uh, hopeful, especially since this year has been a difficult one for a lot of us for many, many, many reasons. But there's good things happening. There's a lot of hope to be had. And we wanted to try to bring some of that to you as we close out towards the middle of December this year and finish up with some stories. Yeah, so in that spirit, we have lined up three different guests on this week's episode, so it's a little bit different format than you're used to. We thought it is important to have a diversity of voices, and as such, each of the people that we interviewed and talked with today represents the stories of congregations across different parts of Indiana. So you're going to get kind of a, a mosaic of congregational life across the state. So we hope at the end of this year, as you listen to this episode and as you reflect on the things that have happened, we know that it's been difficult But I would encourage you to reflect on those successes that you've had. There's been a lot of really good things that have happened. Congregations, and probably your congregation, has found ways to be super flexible and innovative in the space of this year. And I encourage you to just think and celebrate those things and look at how far you've come. We had no idea this was happening. And so thinking about where we were in December of 2019 versus now, and just celebrating the victories and the accomplishments that you've had as we move forward. So up first, we have our Southwest Director, Wendy McCormick, to talk about what she's observed from congregations in the southwestern part of Indiana. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. As you know, we here at the Center for Congregations exist to serve Indiana congregations. And one of the ways we do that is by highlighting stories of the good things that are happening with the congregations that we serve. So much of what we hear about in our media is often sensationalized and negative. And we think it's important just to remind y'all that good things are happening in congregations. And so in that spirit, I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt Burke, the director of the Northeast Office. And I'm joined by Wendy McCormick, who is our Southwest director. And she's going to share some highlights of congregations that she's been working with. Hi, guys. Thanks for this opportunity. Hello, listeners. I'm happy to be coming to you from southern Indiana. And I work in small city, Evansville, and I work with a lot of congregations in this area. But a lot of southern Indiana and the region that I serve is rural and small town. And the challenges are different. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that social services that I take for granted in my city often don't exist in rural and small town communities. And it's very often the congregations that pick up that slack. So one of the stories I want to share is just about that. This is a story of Central Christian Church, which is a Disciples of Christ congregation in Washington, Indiana. Um, Washington's a county seat in a largely rural area. And, you know, on paper... This congregation probably looks like a lot of mainline congregations. They were once larger. They currently, before COVID, had about 30 people in worship, and they can remember when that was a much bigger number. They have a facility much bigger than their current congregation needs or even can keep up, and they no longer support a full-time pastor. They have a part-time pastor. 
this story is about a real passion that this congregation has for assisting people with substance abuse and their families, and especially people who have been in the jail and prison system related to substance abuse and their families. Before I came into this story, they did a couple of things. They knew that they wanted to expand on the fact that they host an AA group in their building. And they knew that they wanted to really make a bigger difference on this problem and maybe be some kind of a convener of others in the community that were concerned about this. And what they did was uh, raise some money, again, a congregation of 30 people. They raised some money to bring onto their staff as a kind of a contract consultant, a person who is trained in substance abuse recovery and also has a ministry background. Then they found out about a community ministry education and grant program that the center was offering, and they decided to participate in that. And they maximized the educational portion of that to kind of fine tune and expand on their original idea to see how this little congregation could make a difference in what's a, a pretty significant problem in a lot of rural communities in Indiana. There's a lack of services. There's a lack of coordination of services. The counties overlap in terms of people, but the procedures and the, and the services don't overlap. And there's a whole lot of need. So in getting ready for this, I was looking back over some of the notes from working with them. And early on in our program, if they're accepted into this community ministry program, which they were, my job was to make a visit to their congregation. We call a site visit to sort of get acquainted and introduce the program. And, you know, in a larger congregation, when I make one of these visits, I would hope that there would be five to seven people that would show up for the meeting. There were 12 people that came to this meeting with me from this congregation of 30. And they were so, so, so excited about the possibility and what they might be able to do. And their first assignment and the educational portion was to listen to members of their congregation in terms of what they had to contribute or what they were concerned about in terms of the community ministry. And they had already done that in spades. They had all this data and people were so committed and they had identified not only the people power from this little congregation, but they'd identified a variety of ways in which their facility with all this unused space might be able to benefit their community. And their next task was to do some listening to other leaders in the community. Well, again, different from me in a city, they knew the people, like they know the superintendent of the schools and they know the principals and they know the mayor and and they know people who have been affected by substance abuse. That was how they got into it. So they did just just a tremendous job of this listening and had this this amazing commitment. You know, I still think about that. Twelve out of 30 people in the congregation showed up for the meeting with the lady from the Center for Congregations. So they discerned a couple of things. They went through, you know, when you confront a big problem like this, one of the things you have to figure out is you can't do everything. You can't fix everything. And so they had some challenges around that from what they, what they wanted to be able to do and what seemed possible. But they focused on several needs that they identified in all this listening. One was needs that they thought they could help. One was the need for support for families of people coming out of the prison system and or dealing with addiction. 
and they set themselves a plan to get training and to develop a model that they hope eventually to be able to offer to other congregations of how a congregation can surround a family and support that family uh, following incarceration and or addiction treatment. Then the second thing that they wanted to do was to try to bridge this enormous barrier in terms of access to information about services. Again, there's no agency in a rural county that says, here's all the services that you need if you're dealing with this. So they took it upon themselves and they put together a a really beautiful print piece to be made available through the various, you know, the jails and the various places in the community that these people encounter. But they also, again, I have in my notes a time when they called and said, we kind of feel like we might need a website, but we don't even, we, we don't know how to go about getting a website and we didn't really budget for one. And I made some low ball kind of suggestions, but because COVID had hit, and they weren't able to do everything that they'd originally planned. They allocated some money differently, and they hired a web designer, and they made this really cool website that is now available to people in this rural area about how to access the kinds of services that people need. So this is a great story. And again, because of COVID, they haven't been able to do exactly what they planned. To me, the website and the print piece alone are amazing. Some of the training that they weren't able to do, they've redirected to do other training. They have been able to sponsor a family and to begin to develop this model of how this can happen going forward. So it is one of my favorite stories of how a little congregation in a rural area steps up to do what nobody else is doing. And it's been an honor for the center to play a little part by being able to offer them some coaching and an educational model for how to develop a new community ministry. So that's Central Christian Church in Washington. What a great story, Wendy. And is the website you're referring to, is that the Recovery Central website? Yes, yes. Yeah, so we'll list that website in the show notes. And I think listeners out there who check it out, I think what you'll be impressed by is just understanding Wendy's story that this is about a 30-member congregation and the quality of the website and just the amount of information on it is pretty substantial. And if you come to that website without knowing the congregation, you would never imagine that a small congregation like that were the ones to put something like that together. A question for you, Wendy, around this, this kind of story, is this incredibly unique in your work that a small rural congregation makes an impact in their community or in their society in this way? Uh, It's not. I think I said at the beginning, it was a huge learning for me. When I was a pastor, I was always in at least a medium-sized metropolitan area. My own background is suburban. And so my experience was that the way a congregation gets involved in the community is by partnering with, assisting a bunch of agencies and social service groups that already exist. And when I came to this work at the center and began to meet congregations all over southwest Indiana, what I started to find out is that in smaller communities, those agencies just aren't aren't there. And so it's the congregations that really step up. And sometimes, you know, in some counties down here, it's a really high functioning ministerial association that coordinates social services, maybe opens the key social service agency in the community to meet particular needs. In other cases, it's a single congregation that picks a problem about which they're passionate and digs in. I love the 
reminder that the size of the congregation doesn't have to determine the impact the congregation can have. I think that's just a beautiful reminder, and this story illustrates that so well. Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, Wendy, that's a, a wonderful story. You said you had a second one. What other story did you want to bring today? So the other's a, a little bit briefer. This is a congregation here in the Evansville area, a little bit bigger, about 75 in worship pre-COVID. This is a congregation called St. Peter's Highland UCC Church, and their pastor has been, uh, I tease him, he's a heavy user. He's He's been a, somebody that's utilized center services. He attends our education events. The church has hosted a couple of our education events. So as we all know, one of the big things that happened in 2020 besides COVID was a pretty significant national movement around racial justice. So, you know, pretty typically here at the center, we responded to congregations by providing some resources. And one of the things that we offered was a five-part online education series about racism, anti-racism. Matt can tell us what the actual title of it was. I don't remember. But since all of our events are online right now, they're 90 minutes instead of a full day. And this pastor, he knew he wanted to attend all of these But he sent an email blast out to, I don't know, the whole membership or leaders or whatever saying, hey, I think we should all do this. And then we can talk about this in the congregation. I've signed up for these five events. I think everybody should sign up for these five events. Well, the feedback he got was, hey, I'm interested, but I'm not available, you know, for these daytime events. So he reached out to us. And by that time, we actually were able to offer some of these events recorded So he didn't just say, you know, go ahead and watch the recording, but he scheduled a group viewing time, you know, in the evening at a mutually convenient time for people from the congregation to come together and view these recordings together and talk about them. And I love that story because nobody can go to everything. And a lot of times when we go to an education event, the takeaway is, oh, I need to download this information to some people. I need to tell so-and-so about this part and this part. And maybe I need to make a couple suggestions to my team about what I learned. But when we all experience it together and then we talk about it, there's a much, much bigger takeaway, a much bigger multiplication effect. So I hope more congregations will take that opportunity to really view an educational opportunity, a webinar or whatever, view it together and talk about it and not just download the notes. Yeah, I think something at the heart of both of these stories, Wendy, is a center value that the more of the congregation or the more of the system you can get involved in something, the higher the likelihood of success And so as we round out 2020 and move into 2021, the congregations who are listening to this, maybe that's a challenge or a resolution that you can make for your congregation of thinking about how do we get more folks involved? Because, you know, larger congregations tend to have a larger impact just because of the sheer volume of people. But this illustrates how a smaller congregation, when a large percentage of the people are heavily involved, a lot of things can happen. And so just encouraging congregations to think about what are ways that you can include more of a percentage of your congregation and what's happening. And we just see really great things happening when you can get more people on board. That's such a great point. And you get more people by tapping into what they're passionate about. And that's what happened in both of these stories. And I know you're telling good stories, but when you were making that comment, Matt, it occurred to me that in a couple of the congregations I'm working with on a big project, much bigger congregations, you know, we say you need to get more people involved. This is a big project. You can't 
no matter how talented one person is, one person can't do this. But they hit the wall because despite best intentions, it falls back on one person. And whether that one person is paid staff or volunteer, a really big project, it's just not possible. You need that buy-in from people about what they're passionate about. And I think when you have smaller congregations that buy-in sometimes can be more endemic. It's like already part of the system. It's easier to have voices heard all the time on everything anyway. Yeah. Whereas if you're a larger congregation, you actually have to learn how to have those conversations, how to solicit that buy-in effectively. Uh, and it's it's not always easy to do. That's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah, I was thinking that smaller congregations maybe see it as a deficit, that they can't afford a lot of staff. But what it's taught them is over time, everybody pitches in. Yeah, I really like both of these stories. I love that we're doing this in general, just highlighting congregational stories, because when we talk about being the Center for Congregations or talk about highlighting stories, congregation is such a nebulous term. You know, it's really helpful to kind of just make it concrete and to name that it's not just these big mega churches that you might see. You know, if you're in India, it's not just the light of the world. It is small congregations, neighborhood congregations, rural congregations that are tuned in to not only what the community needs, but also what their people care about, to your point, Wendy. And those stories don't have to be the exceptions. These are stories that are exemplified or, or modeled throughout the state and probably throughout the country. Absolutely. And, you know, when you start to unpack this theme of smaller congregations, when we worked across the state with congregations trying to figure out how to go online with their worship during the pandemic, some of the obvious challenges we thought about were, you know, do you have the know-how? What kind of information you need about how to do it? And do you have the equipment? But we learned from a number of these rural congregations that their internet access and the internet access of their members could be a barrier that really nothing could fix. There's some rural communities where there just isn't good internet. And it's been so, so fun and inspiring to hear the workarounds people come up with, right? So I was in a conversation with a group of leaders in this region about their virtual worship, and they got into a conversation about, oh, well, some of you say you're recording and we live stream, you know, why would you record instead of live stream? Well, if you have internet issues, recording is a really preferable option to live online. And we even heard the story from one congregation that somebody was driving the recording 40 minutes to the next bigger town where the internet was better in order to upload it. So that's that's dedication, right? Absolutely. Major dedication. And props to whomever was doing that. <laughs> Major props. Those are really good stories, Wendy. Well, our next conversation is with our Northwest Director, Mackenzie Scott-Lewis. Mackenzie's in the Crown Point Office of the Center for Congregations, and thanks for joining us, Mackenzie. It is a pleasure to be with you two today. Awesome. And we're just kind of rounding out 2020, Mackenzie, and just talking about some of the highlights and the positive things we've seen, because as one of our presenters we talked with, she put it delicately as a densely layered year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Nicely said. <laughs> Yeah. So we're just curious and we're just kind of trying to round out the year for our listeners in talking about what are the bright spots? What are the good things that we've seen happening in congregations in 2020? So what strikes you off the top of your head for that? Well, that's a great opening question. What hits me immediately 
is how to turn survival into thriving amidst a crisis. And I've witnessed congregations who were on the brink of shutting down during the pandemic find a way to survive by having technology, our technology grant, to assist them. And then they started to thrive. They started to reach other people who historically would not have entered their church doors. And as a result of that, the whole world of possibilities opened up in the midst of a pandemic. And I, I love that type of resourcefulness that I've witnessed in congregations and, and the part that we had a chance to play uh, as the Center for Congregations and listening to them and providing resources for them. Northwest Indiana, I'm a native of Northwest Indiana. It is a very interesting and unique part of the state. To my mind, probably the only part of the state in which you can have urban congregations and rural congregations in such close proximity. So I'm wondering if you've noted similar trends in each different context and setting, both urban and rural, or if you've seen differences in how each context has affected the way congregations have responded. Yeah, that's a great question, Ben. I've seen both. For example, Uh, Rural congregations acting a little bit more urban and urban congregations acting a little bit more rural. And what I mean by that is that some of the rural congregations were saying, hey, because of our geographical location, we don't want to get left out. Let us be in line or in concert with what is going on. Let us take advantage of the resources that are available to us. Don't forget about us type of mentality. And while I saw a lot of urban congregations saying, hey, let us slow down, let us see what else is out there, and let us, if I can say this, do what matters most, and that is the people, that our congregations aren't just in our churches. They are beyond the church. They are in the community. Uh, Our congregants are everywhere, and whether it's rural or urban, they have an opportunity to engage in their faith tradition in unique ways during this time period. And so, Ben, your question is a really great one because as you articulated, Northwest Indiana is a unique combination of things and it can be very territorial. Mm-hmm. And so what we have tried to do in our office is to have more neutral site events, more opportunities to, for people to engage where territory does not have to matter. And so the rural and the urban and all points in between were able to come to a lot of events, especially early on until the pandemic. And then once the pandemic hit, the wonderful job that Matt has done with our education events, it created a a kind of a neutral site or neutral mentality in order to be their very best. Thank you for plugging the education events. It's always good when we plug ourselves here at the Center Podcast. So thank you for that. Appreciate the shout out, Mackenzie. <laughs> no problem, man. What is real is real, man. So uh, I like to keep it truthful. <laughs> so and in terms of what you mentioned initially about not only surviving, but thriving, flesh that out a little bit. What things have you seen that indicate to you that these congregations are not just surviving, but they're actually flourishing and growing? There's a congregation out of of Valparaiso, uh, Indiana, and they were what I would call pretty well-to-do. And every event that they had, everything that they did was insulary. It was just inside their particular walls of the church. And they were going on as if life is grand, life is good, steady flow of monies coming in in terms of tithes and offering. Church hadn't grown a lot over the years. It was just about them. 
And then when the pandemic hit, they had no technology. They had no real means to stay in contact. And so they were on the brink of shutting down. Mm. Now let that sink in for a second. A, A church that was flourishing, the pandemic hit, and they're on the verge of shutting down. They could not reach the people in the ways that it would make sense for the congregants to be attached to the church. And so they heard about us, and so they got involved. They, they did a grant, Connect to Tech grant, and they started to survive. So they did not know what they didn't know. It was, it was all new. And then in that surviving, they started to notice once they got a website up, they started noticing more and more people listening in on a broadcast on Sunday. Then they expanded it to Wednesday. Uh, and then more and more people listened. They got an app for their tithes and their offerings. And so more and more people started to give. And what was once a very dark situation, they're about ready to close. Uh, they can't imagine going forward without being online and having in-person services. So that's an example, Matt, of how you can just survive for just long enough to kind of catch your breath and then start to thrive and have deep breathing, if you will, to say, okay, we can do this. And in, oh, and here's another point, and I know I'm being long-winded with this, that's because you had me on, um, is the <laughs> fact that they left the, the position of always being the expert mm. to becoming, hey, we're just trying to figure this thing out along with you. We're together. So it built a different sense of community within that community. So that's an example of uh, surviving into thriving. So there was a moment or a transition to a more humble approach that really affected the relationship the congregation had with its broader community. That's so powerful. I concur. I mean, let's face it. We have placed the person in charge of a particular congregation on Mount Rushmore, if you will. Yeah. Uh, He or she is the ultimate authority in that local congregation or synagogue or mosque or what have you. And a sense of collegiality and community sometimes is not seen because one person is making all the decisions. And so what this has led to is now churches are hiring pastors for technology, which was unheard of, Mm -hmm. you know, some time ago. But the ability to be humble is important because it allows you to be relatable. And once you're relatable, then you can connect. And once you can connect, you can really see the great value of the human spirit, right? How we can grow together and fail together and everything still be okay. That's powerful to me. Mm. Yeah, that's something that I've appreciated is that the congregations with the shift to virtual in the pandemic, the idea of permission to fail, and I think I've heard that more. I know that we've talked about that as an organization before, that that's an important thing to have as you continue to grow and change as a congregation, as a learning organization, that you need to be okay with failure and recognizing that it was almost bound to happen. I mean, it even happened with us in our some of our live online events that you're going to make mistakes because it's a brand new area. And I really hope a lot of congregations can learn to make that a part of what it means to exist together. And I loved what you said, Mackenzie, about, you know, we succeed together, 
we fail together. So it's not like this leadership team, worship teams, pastors, you know, they make the mistakes and then and they're different and separated from the congregation. But rather, no, we are all here together as a unit and doing this together. And when we succeed, it's great. But when we fail, it's okay because we're doing it together. And just the idea of that community being that strong so that it's not an us versus them mentality, I think is so important. Yeah, well said, Matt. And it reminds me of a scripture that always was influenced by community in unity and in, in coming together from Genesis to the book of Acts. I mean, it's just the ideal of coming together and making sure, most importantly, that your needs are met, that we have all things in common. And while we have these unique differences, for example, Northwest Indiana, it is unique. It is unique than other parts of the state. And if we can celebrate or if we can recognize that the diversity is our strength, then can you imagine what unity is? Mm. That's our power. So if diversity is our strength and all the differences and the uniqueness that makes us, then when we coalesce or when we come together, that's power. That's how you can have systemic change within our organization, within churches and businesses, and the list goes on and on. Yeah, and I mean, to that point, if that's the case, then Northwest Indiana is primed with potential for that kind of transformation, just because of the diversity of experience, of perspective, of lifestyle that exists in those suburbs, really they're suburbs of Chicago that happen to be in Indiana. <laughs> right, <laughs> and we've seen that to come true since my tenure here in terms of office visits to, you know, going out and talking to different associations. I mean, there are associations I never even knew was in existence. And it was like, wow, man, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, the collaborations of one church with a mosque or a collaboration of a synagogue with, with the Gary Diocese, or, or, you know, just all these different types of entities. And when we look at them as not barriers, but possibilities, we can really show the type of love that I think is necessary, whether it's at work or in the community or in our churches. Man, love is that's the ticket. It is. It is. I'm going to ask a very long-winded question, so brace yourself. Okay. So in this phase of my life, I'm learning a lot from the seasons. And fall comes before winter. And in autumn, most of the trees shed their leaves. So there's like a falling away that takes place so plants can rest and restore themselves so new growth can occur. And I think the same thing has happened during this pandemic for a lot of people, families, and especially congregations. There's a falling away that has had to take place so congregations can survive and, and eventually thrive again. So as congregations have had to ask themselves, what must fall away for us to continue? What must fall away for something new to emerge? I'm wondering, as you have been in this unique position of observing congregations in different contexts, what have you seen, not only fall away, but more specifically, what have you seen emerge in the midst of this pandemic as congregations have shifted from thriving to surviving and back again? Great question. One of the great falling aways have been the embedded theologies associated with a lot of congregations in a sense that always way of doing, always way of being, always way of saying. And so here's what we practice in this particular committee of the church, and we're going to have our anniversary on this day no matter what. Okay. And what emerged during this time period, like one church said, we had a, a Zoom call 
just to listen to congregates, to see kind of what's going on. How are you feeling? How are you doing? And this was early on in the pandemic. And it was approaching Easter. And uh, one lady pastor said, and it was just absolutely beautiful. She said, Easter is inside of us. And so we will celebrate it when it's an appropriate time. Mm -hmm. It won't be on the calendar as we have historically celebrated it. It will be maybe this summer or maybe next fall. It's universal. It's not bound by time. It's not bound in the sense to your metaphor earlier by the seasons. It is bound by a true duty and understanding of what does this mean to me and what does this mean to our congregation and to our community. And so what has emerged is this ability to be innovative without sacrificing this idea that tradition is, is more important. So let me say it a different way. It is the ability to shatter the box and still be whole. Mm. Right. So take the fragments of whatever and marshal that. Don't worry about having to be perfect inside the box and always way of doing stuff and to step outside of oneself and just take a piece and then have faith enough to believe that that piece can turn into another kind of a glass menagerie type of a mosaic of what can happen. Because people are tattered and torn right now, too. Mm. Right? So how do we continue to bring them together? And they're not going to all look like us, talk like us, have the same political persuasion, same sexual orientation, whatever the case may be. So that leads to my second point of what I've seen is a greater sense of inclusiveness. Inclusiveness is wrought out of the ability to love beyond your own personal preferences. So I can have a thought or a way, but that's a human being. Mm. That person matters. And so in the church context for the Center for Congregation, why that is so important is that we begin to offer resources that kind of tickle that out. Like say, okay, hey, here, try this blog or vlog that speaks on how to have a loving uh, Sunday school, how to have a loving service through technology, for example. How do you demonstrate that, right? So the emergence of being innovative and shattering the box and being inclusive have really jumped out as we transcend the seasons. And so while I believe that there is a falling away, the shakening, there is also a maturing at the same time. So the falling away is a type of pruning, right? It's a type of, let's get rid of the dead stuff, if you will. Because some of our practices, some of our embedded stuff, it has nothing to do with church or relating to people, loving people. It has everything to do with how can I stay comfortable where I am? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That'll preach. Matter of fact, I think you did preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, man, when it, it, it's in you, it's in you. So right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it'll, it'll come out. But I'm passionate about that people matter. And love covers a lot of things. When I played basketball, right? And, and coach college basketball, one of the great... It's a humble brag. <laughs> I am bragging because uh, <laughs> I was uh, better than you. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the great pacifiers, if you will, or one of the great healers was winning. So winning covered up a lot of stuff that 
maybe we weren't doing as well, <laughs> right? And I say that about love. Love covers up a lot of stuff that, you know, we are flawed individuals and stuff like that, but we can just keep winning in love. We can keep going forward. Rounding out our segment today, we have the president of the Center for Congregations, Tim Shapiro. He's here with us today, and he's going to share some stories about congregations he's had a chance to work with and observe in 2020 here in the Central Region. So thank you for being here, Tim. It's good to be here, Ben and Matt. Always enjoy talking about congregations. That's why we love having you here. Let's just jump right in. What did you observe this year in congregational life that really excited you and filled you with hope? Yeah, that was easy to find because congregations did a lot this year that gave me hope and inspired, I think, uh, not just me, but all of us colleagues at Center for Congregations. One of the things, notice that congregations, despite COVID, despite the pandemic, despite all other odds, they continued providing social services or engagement with the community during this time. So what I mean by that is more than their time of worshiping remotely, they still found a way to connect with people beyond their congregational doors. Food pantries did not close. 12-step groups did not close or stop offering different kinds of special ministries like ID ministry, helping people to get the proper identification to have their rights here in Indiana. Those social services, congregations kept them up like 75%. We know in the black population, these congregations really didn't drop any of their services, according to our data. 100% of congregations that were from the African-American tradition kept up all the things they were doing outside the church doors. Really impressive, I think. Another thing, if I may say, the Indiana congregations this year went international. Somehow that happened. It happened through technology. It happened through streaming Facebook. It happened through Zoom. Leader after leader, Clergy after clergy, lay leader after lay leader, they all were saying, hey, we had our 50 people coming on to our live streaming, and then we noticed all of a sudden that number started climbing, 70, 75, 80, 85. It just kept climbing, and hey, we had people from Great Britain. We had people from Mexico. So in that way, congregations in Indiana, just they went international. They went beyond the United States, beyond this continent. It was pretty cool. One other thing I want to lift up is that whether it was a person who's on the board, whether it was a person in their choir, whether it was a clergy person, whether it was someone who was leading some group that was part of the congregation in some way, congregations worked hard. They had a sense of adrenaline early on in the self-distancing here in 2020, and nothing really slowed down. I heard clergy person after clergy person, representatives of the congregation, all saying, you know, they were working full speed. If they were working harder than normal, I hope they found their Sabbaths with all this hard work they did. Yeah, thanks for sharing that great summary, Tim. And that's one of the things that I've noticed. And those of you listening to this episode, pause for a second and just reflect on the fact that you're still here. That when this pandemic hit, we didn't know what congregational life was going to look like. 
We didn't know how we were going to do the food pantry service. We didn't know how we were going to continue to reach to our, our communities. We were concerned that people would stop coming because we were virtual. And those narratives have not proven to be true in most cases. And so just reflect on the fact that we are still here. And in some cases, the reach is broader, the congregation is stronger, and we're better prepared for what's to come in 2021. And I think it's worth pausing and just reflecting on that for a moment. That's a rich pause, Matt, because I have an image of exactly what you were describing, congregation after congregation. Yeah. Amazing grace. Really neat. So Tim, I think you also had some particular stories that you wanted to share from specific congregations. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for the invitation to talk about. I have two congregations that I want to talk about. I don't know if I have a single particular story from either one of them, but I want to introduce you to these really wonderful, fascinating, faithful congregations that I came across in 2020. The first one I want to introduce you to is Woodruff Place Baptist Church. If you've lived for a long time in Indianapolis, maybe even a short time, you'll know that the whole Woodruff Place neighborhood is a special neighborhood. It has its own character. It's been around. It's special. People see it as historic. It's, and Woodruff Place Baptist Church is located there. It started a long time ago. Woodruff Place, I think, was a church plant. I don't know if they used that word then, but in 1894, Woodruff Place began uh, it was an offshoot of First Baptist Church. The building that they're currently worshiping in was built in 1926. I'm going to come back to that because that has something to do with the way in which we worked with them today. Their pastor is Ron Nunez, so Reverend Nunez. He has a wonderful story to tell, sat down, learned a lot from him. He comes from El Salvador to Oakland, California, to Indianapolis, Indiana. So he has this wonderful family story about his own journey the Woodruff Place Baptist Church was part of one of our programs called Formative Power of Your Congregation. And one of the primary goals of that program was for the congregation to find some aspect of life that they wanted their members, their adherents, to take a deeper dive into. And the part of life that the leaders at Woodruff Place wanted their leaders to take, and their members to take a deeper dive into, happened to do with music. So when we were working with Woodruff Place, we were walking alongside them as they were identifying hip-hop Christian groups while they were finding rock group. One of their board members said, I don't like rock. They ended up listening to that during worship and said, we should do this more often. So this whole variety of music that Woodruff Place, through the leaders, the board, Reverend Nunez, were wanting to immerse their congregation into a richer, deeper, more diverse experience around music. So they're playing for a gospel choir to come in, gospel group. And they're working with Eastern Star, one of our, probably the largest church in central Indiana, maybe all of Indiana, to come in and have their choir be at one of their worship services. And one of the things they hope about this happening is that the different generations in their congregation that may be living under the same household will gain an appreciation for the favorite kind of music that the different people in the household have. So I'm really excited, one, about the energy that comes out of Woodruff Place, the creativity that comes out of Woodruff Place, the fact that it, it's a very diverse population. It's just, it would be really fun to spend time, more time with Woodruff Place. 
That is incredibly exciting. We don't often hear about congregations engaging in music specifically and in ways like that. And so I find myself, when I first learned about it, very uplifted and energized by that by that as well. You know, music is a foundational fabric for our culture and for, for many cultures. And so I just love when congregations get innovative and allow themselves to dream and imagine beyond their current parameters. It's, it's just, it's wonderful. And in terms of their moving beyond their current parameters, in terms of the role of the Center for Congregations, I love this story because the congregation is the hero of its own story. We didn't go out and research hip-hop groups for them. We didn't find the rock group. We didn't call Eastern Star for them. That was all their initiative. They made their identification of who they wanted to uh, have the experience of listening to music. One of the things that Woodruff Place is having to do is they need a better sound mixing board. They're going to have all this great music, and they want it to sound good. They want it to sound better than what they can offer right now. So I think it was really wise for them. On one hand, there's this spiritual nature of them being experienced to by, say, a large church choir singing songs of their faith. But they know if people can't hear that right, it's not going to feed their heart. So sometimes it's real practical things that congregations just have the intuition that they need. Eh, we need a new sounding board. It may sound okay, sounding board, but it's going to make or break the experience that they're going to have with this deep dive into different forms of music. What's the other story you brought with us? Is it about more music? Yeah, what's interesting, it's music is actually involved because I want to refer people to their website, but and it happens to be a Baptist church. Woodruff Place is a Baptist congregation. Uh, I want to tell a little about the Indianapolis Chin Baptist congregation. So it's located... So I don't quite know my Indianapolis geography like I should. Its zip code is 46227, which can mean it's on the very edge of the south side of Indianapolis, or it could be just a little over in Greenwood. I'm not sure what they consider their location. But the Indiana Chin Baptist congregation is made up almost entirely of people who self-describe themselves as Chin, which is a population of folks that when they, uh, in terms of the world that they came from to the United States, located between India and Burma. And in that setting, there was, a, there is, was, is oppression against Christian communities. So they've come here, settled as a Baptist congregation on the south side of Indianapolis. They're part of approximately 95 other congregations in the U.S. that identify as Chin and have a tradition as Chin Baptist. They're also affiliated with the American Baptist Church, so they have this dual affiliation. So the thing that the Chin Baptist folks were seeking to enhance in their congregation had to do with worship. Woodruff Place had a lot to do with worship. So they have 500 families as part of the Indianapolis Chin Baptist experience there in worship. Worship is two hours long, four to six, I believe, on Sundays. Anyway, they built the sanctuary. They've been in sanctuaries that were not built for them, but they built a brand new sanctuary not too long ago. And they've already found, as more people are coming, as their choir has just expanded in size, that the lighting, the lighting in their sanctuary may have been good for when there were 100 people in worship and people were spaced apart and there weren't shadows and all of these other things interfering with good lighting. But for people to fully participate in worship, they needed a lighting assessment for their sanctuary. And of course, one could say lighting assessment. That, that sounds so technical. That sounds so non-spiritual. But it affects their whole experience of what it means being together, community. So the Chin Baptist folks, out of their own wisdom, are working with a media group 
to improve their lighting in the sanctuary. They're pretty high-tech folks, and they are wanting to move higher in their capacity, so they're having a technology assessment. One of the things that I really enjoy about the Chin Baptist congregation is their music program. I don't know exactly how many choirs they have, but as I go on their website and as I've heard their pastors talk about it, their choirs are all at capacity. Like, you'd have to, like, put people, uh, you'd have to suspend people from the air to find more space for people to come into their choirs. And if you go to their website, you can find it by Googling Indianapolis Chin Baptist. There are several video clips of their choir, and in one, they're singing the Hallelujah Chorus. So Hallelujah Chorus, European, classical music tradition, they bring their own sense of values, their own sense of sound, their own sense of who they are to the Hallelujah Chorus. Uh, yeah, I could listen to it all day. But when I was listening to it last week, I just kept hitting the repeat button on their YouTube page. I want to hear that again. I want to hear that again. So uh, Indianapolis Chin Baptist, 500 families, more coming The United States seems to be a safe place not only to practice their faith, but also a safe place to take risks and to continue their hard work. And they would also be an example of a congregation when I give this theme of international that we're picking up in Indiana congregations. This is truly an example of that. Hey, thanks for letting me talk about the Indianapolis Chin Baptist Church. Thank you for bringing not only that story, but both stories this morning. One thing that struck me is that both are excellent illustrations of the fact that these very technical issues, getting a new sound mixer, doing a lighting assessment, to your point, may not seem like overtly spiritual practices, may not seem like things you might want to seek out grant funds for or contact the center for, but when you think about what it means to build community, to set context, to come together and remove the barriers and obstacles that might be in place for really remaining in community, those can be very critical elements, especially depending upon your congregational culture and context. And so those stories really just highlight the fact that you can't overlook anything when you're trying to think about what it means to truly build community, especially during a year like we've had. That's consistent, Ben, exactly with the stories. And I know that you're picking that up with all of the other stories that you're hearing from our staff and, and from the work that both you and Matt have done throughout this year. Well, thanks so much, Tim, for being a part of this conversation. And we look forward to our continued work in 2021. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Ben and Matt. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed getting to talk with you. So Ben, any thoughts on those interviews? As I listened, I kept returning to this idea of urban versus rural congregations. It's something that we talk about sometimes infrequently here at the center, but you know, congregational experiences really center upon their geographic context sometimes. And I was really encouraged by the fact that we see these positive trends, you know, from thriving to surviving and back to thriving in both rural context and urban context, regardless of resource availability, population density, and general demographic trends. People are figuring out how to maximize what is available to them and how to meet the needs of their communities and this to be more effective. And that's just really encouraging to me. Yeah, I agree. And just remembering that, you know, we see such a diversity of congregations. We see urban, we see rural, we see suburban, we see megachurch, we see 30-member, you know, older congregations. But, you know, the commonality is we're all here because we believe that we can make a difference in the world. 
and to see the diversity of congregations that are making a positive impact right where they are. And I think you're right, Ben, that the creativity of congregational communities as they seek to fulfill, you know, their religious observances, their religious duties, and just seeing how much that impacts the world around them is just so encouraging. I always say that's one of the best parts of my job, that we get to see the bright spots of what's happening in congregations around Indiana. And just, I think, a good way to wrap up this year and this podcast and just remembering that we are making a difference. We may not see it every day. We may not know it. We may encounter struggles and difficulties. But at the end of the day, because we care and because we're working to grow, to learn, and to change, good things are going to come as a result of that. Absolutely. And for me, it's a reminder about the importance of community, you know, because we're not just talking about congregations or what's happening within the walls of the church, albeit many of these walls are virtual now, you know, but we are talking about what is happening in neighborhoods across the state of Indiana. And I think it's just important to remember that despite how dark things may seem in our local and national media, there are still pockets, probably more than pockets of light, of hope. And when we focus on meeting the needs of our communities, on intentionally connecting with one another, on on actively listening, on being present to the fullness of each other's humanity, then we can still live into our, the highest ideals of who we are as people, as families, as communities. And that is what I'm reminded of as I listen to these stories. And I just think that's so uplifting to end 2020 like that. Yeah, Absolutely. And we would just love for you to remember as we finish up this first season of the podcast that we believe in you. So you are listening to this in your car or in your headphones, or maybe you're shoveling snow, wherever it is you are right now, that we believe in you and the work that you're doing in your congregations. We believe that it's valuable. We believe that it's important. And we see you, even though we may not know you specifically, we see people like you who work very hard to try to make a difference in the world. And we really appreciate you and thank you for your work uh, on behalf of our society. And because of that, and because we have gotten some positive feedback on the stories and content that have come through season one, we're going to be back for season two with more stories and more experts and hopefully more resources and information that you can use to continue to do the good work that you're already doing. We hope you join us for season two when it launches in 2021. If you have a moment and you enjoy this podcast, we would really love for you to rate and review us on iTunes. It's one of the best ways for people to be able to find this podcast. So if you think it's something valuable, please feel free to do that and let us know how we're doing. Also, we would love for you to be the first person to email the podcast at centerforcongregations.org email address. Uh, We created that, and that inbox is really lonely, and we've had no one reach out. So we would love to hear from you with suggestions for future shows, maybe resources that you're aware of that could be helpful to other congregations, or even just to say, hey, uh, we would love to hear from you and know who's out there listening. We absolutely would. I mean, do you know how frustrating it is to think that you're ignoring emails only to find that you're not actually getting emails that you thought you were ignoring? I mean, really, it just makes ignoring emails so fruitless. So please give give me something to ignore, folks. That's what we're asking for here. Uh, (laughs) uh, But yes, please be the first to give us suggestions, pitch a segment idea, a topic you want us to cover, or even just give us feedback, something you thought was really fruitful and blessed you, something that you thought maybe wasn't as helpful, a question. This is designed to be interactive and helpful for you. And so we believe in mutuality here at the Center for Congregations. And one way we can engage in that work and embody that belief is, is by soliciting feedback. So email us at podcast at org and, and uh, share with us whatever you want to share. 
And remember, you can also check us out on social media. We have a Facebook page and we're also on Instagram. Yes, please follow us on both sides, especially Instagram. We want to get our followership up on Instagram. So feel free to just follow us, bump that up a little bit. And then while you're doing that, you're already online. Like Matt said, just, you know, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star review. Whether you like us or not, just leave us the five stars. It really is immaterial at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You know deep in your heart you want to give us five stars. (laughs) Just do it. Just do it. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, uh, we would love your feedback and even constructive criticism. We are absolutely open to that because we're here for you and we want to create something that is helpful and beneficial. So let us know how we can do that. Let's not get carried away now. All right, y'all, but thank you so much for joining us in the journey that has been season one. We may or may not have additional content coming in. It'll be a surprise. Just stay tuned. But if nothing else, we hope to have you back with us in 2021. Enjoy the holidays, and we hope you have a happy new year. We'll see you soon.